Well, it's so good to be with you here today. My name is Scott. I'm a pastor at Alpine Church, and I am really looking forward to our message today because I get to kind of bring the book of Revelation to a close in the sense that anyone gets to bring the book of Revelation to a close before Jesus comes back, I suppose. But uh, we are going to finish up our study on Revelation. And so we're going to spend our time in the last two chapters of the Bible. So if you have your Bibles or your Bible app open, you can just turn right to the end. If you get to the maps, you're too far, okay? If you get to the, if you get to the index, you're too far. So... As I'm thinking about today's message, you know, today uh, we've been talking about Revelation. We've been talking about Jesus unveiled. The theme of today's message is Jesus forever. We have Jesus forever. And today's chapter is going to describe, uh, or it's going to use words to describe it that are words uh, like from a wedding. And as a pastor, um, I've had the chance to perform lots and lots of weddings over the years, and I have performed weddings at really big, expensive venues uh, where people spent much more on the wedding, their wedding, than I've spent on all my cars in my life combined, I think, you know, and, and I've, I've been a part of those weddings, and then I've been part of small, intimate weddings, you know, I've done weddings in backyards and in homes. I've had some memorable moments in a wedding. I'll always remember this one wedding that was in a home, and uh, the, the bride wanted to walk out on, on rose petals, and so she, they put rose petals down in their living room, and she walked out on them. The only problem was the carpet was white, and so, so afterward, I'm like, hey, uh, yeah, that, that might be a problem. Got to go. All right. So that's not, that wasn't my role, okay? Uh, but one of my greatest memories, one of my greatest wedding memories is the wedding that had the dog ring bearer. I just always, I love that. I don't know if you're here today. Are you dog? No. But, uh, but uh, the, the dog ring bearer, I'll, I'll always remember that. I've been to a lot of weddings. I've seen a lot of things, experienced a lot of things. I've, I've snuck weddings ceremonies in during breaks of rain and all that kind of stuff. And I bring that up because today we are talking about the wedding to end all weddings, uh, the weddings that all other weddings really point toward in the book of Revelation. Because today in our final week, we are going to look at a wedding, and it's really this wedding that, that really, if you're married, your marriage is really pointing towards, and we're going to explain that in just a moment. Now, if you've been with us throughout this series, and if, if you haven't been with us throughout the series, you're a guest with us here today, we're so glad that you've chosen this Sunday to be here at Alpine. And I think it's a, even though we're wrapping up a series, we'll start a brand new one next week that I'm looking forward to. And uh, we're just so glad you're here. But in the series on Revelation, you know, Revelation's a, a very difficult book of the Bible to understand and to fully wrap your mind around because it deals with events that are in the future. It has a lot of symbolism in it. And so we've said that there's kind of four different pairs of glasses you might need to wear to understand almost any passage in Revelation. And those are the first century lens. You know, the book of Revelation is written to Christians in the first century, and it means a lot to them. It meant a lot to them in their situation. So you often have to put on first century glasses to see what it meant then. You need uh, universal glasses to know what does the book of Revelation mean to every generation, because there have been people living for 2,000 years since the time of Revelation was written, and the, that book has been meaningful to them, and God has spoken to them. And so what does, what does the book of Revelation say to all Christians and all people for all time? You need the contemporary set of glasses that says, what, do, what does the book of Revelation say to us living in 2020, living here today, living in North America, living in Utah, living in a pandemic? What does the book of Revelation say to us? And then you also need the future glasses. The future glasses are going to tell us what's going to happen 
when Jesus returns and God ends human history. And really, the last two chapters in the book of Revelation are really just all about that future lens. For the most part today, we are just going to wear those future glasses, and we're going to talk about things that are, that are ahead. Now, when are these things going to happen? It could be they could start this afternoon. They could start in another 2,000 years. I have no idea, so don't ask me, because I don't know. And uh, I don't, you don't even need to you don't even need to email me your thoughts, because I don't know. It's okay. We don't know. Jesus said he didn't know he was going to return. We don't know when he's going to return. We can read the signs as best we can, but at the end of the day, we've got to be humble. But what I want us to see today is I want us to, we're going to talk a lot about this thing called heaven, this thing that you and I call heaven. And what I want us to see is not only this wonderful picture of what God is inviting us to into the future, this heaven that God has in store for us, but what I also want us to see what it means for you and me today. So, Let's begin here. The church, according to the book of Revelation, and and really throughout the Bible, the church is like Jesus' bride. We are invited to an intimate relationship with him. The church is like Jesus' bride, and that's why in Revelation 21, it starts off with this wedding. Now, I'm sure at some point most of you have planned some sort of big event. You know, we recently, just this summer, we had a family reunion for my wife's family, and it took a year of planning. Uh, and it took, it took countless hours of planning, and, and my wife's family spread throughout the country. And so it, it, took, it took like hours and hours of planning, and then COVID hit and destroyed all of our plans, and, we had to, and they had to restart them. I'd say we, but I really did nothing to help, I'll be honest with you. I, I was just kind of like, tell me where to drive, and I will drive there. But, um, but you know, there's all this planning that went in just to get my wife's, you know, uh, clo- her, her, the family she grew up in, just to get them together. And, and we had the, the reunion a month or so ago for the big payoff. And in Revelation, what we encounter is we encounter this wedding that God has been planning for thousands of years. And finally, it's the big payoff. So let's see what the word of the Lord says. Chapter 21, verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared. The sea was also gone. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. So Jesus has returned at this point. God has dealt, we talked about this last week, He has dealt with His enemies. He has dealt with those who rejected Him forever. He has dealt with Satan and the demonic forces. And now it is time for what we call heaven, although Revelation never calls it that. Revelation never refers to heaven. What it refers to is the new heavens and the new earth. And what we see in Revelation 21 and 22 is God is recreating the universe. It's a new Eden. It's a new creation. It's a new heavens and a new earth. That that is our home. That heaven is not some some place up in the clouds where we're just going to sit on a cloud and play a harp for all eternity, because really, who would want that, right? And wear a white robe? That sounds like an insane asylum, doesn't it? That's not heaven. Heaven is a remarkably um, imaginative, colorful, bright, spectacular place that's physical, and that we will live in the new heavens and the new earth. We will live in a restored, renewed, physical earth with our resurrected physical bodies. And so that's what's being depicted here. It says there in verse 1 that the sea was also gone. Now, many of you know I grew up in Southern California. I grew up in Long Beach, California. I grew up on the ocean. As a kid, I'd read this verse and I would want to weep because I love the ocean. I didn't want the ocean to go away. 
But remember, the book of Revelation is, is symbolic in many ways. And in the Jewish mindset, the sea was a place of chaos. Back in, uh, back in earlier in the book of Revelation, we talked about uh, the Antichrist, and we talked about the beast from the sea. The sea is a place of chaos. The sea is a place where invaders would come from. The sea is a place where the Romans showed up and took over the Jewish homeland. And so, when it says there in verse 1 that the sea was also gone, God is saying that all chaos is gone. There's no need to be afraid of enemies to attack you because all that is done forever. There is a new Jerusalem, the city of peace that comes down from heaven. And coming down from God out of heaven like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. This is the imagery of a wedding that we were talking about, right? And the picture here is in the ancient world, a bride would get ready for her wedding day. She would wear lots of precious stones. She would adorn herself with lots of precious stones. In the same way, the holy city, the new Jerusalem, comes down from heaven adorned in stones. You can read that in the chapter as it describes, verse 18, it describes the, the walls made of jasper, the city of pure gold. Just like a bride ready for her wedding, the people of God are ready to meet their Savior, Jesus Christ. We see this picture of a wedding a little earlier in the book. In chapter 19, it says this. It says, let us be glad and rejoice and let us give honor to him for the time has come for the wedding feast of the lamb and his bride has prepared herself. She has been given the finest of pure white linen to wear for the fine linen represents the good deeds of God's holy people. So what you have here, what, what heaven is, how heaven is described is that it's God's people coming together with God in a lifelong, eternal connection, relationship, intimate relationship. And that's why the imagery of marriage is used. And in this passage, it says, just like, just like the bride and groom get ready for their wedding day, right? Just like they get dressed up and, and, and wear, wear something new, wear something nice, wear something borrowed, something blue, you know, whatever it is, they're, they're, you're all dressed up and ready to go. In the same way, God's people... If you're a Christian, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, God wants you to get ready for the big wedding day. And it's not so much about the clothes you wear, but it's about the good deeds, the righteous deeds of God's holy people. That as we grow in following God, as we grow in following God's law, as we, as we do that as an act of thankfulness for being saved by Jesus Christ, we are putting on righteous deeds, good deeds like clothes. We're getting ready for that big wedding day. And what we see here, and this is something really fundamental and Hopefully, if I ever performed your wedding, I, I talked about this in premarital counseling with you, but what, what we're really getting at here is that all human marriage is ultimately pointing to this great, incredible moment where Jesus takes his bride, the church, and they are united forever. You see, one of the things that makes marriage so special, marriage is wonderful, I love being married, my wife also loves being married, she's told me, so that's good. We're on the same page there. We love being married to each other, and there's so many wonderful things that come up with marriage. A lot of hard things, too, by the way. <laughs> a lot of really challenging things, especially for her. A lot of challenging things. But at the end of the day, it's, it's such a wonderful, wonderful, special part of, our, part of life. But here's the thing about marriage, is it's meant to point beyond itself. Ephesians 5.25 says this, for husbands... This is a long passage where, where the Apostle Paul is outlining the roles of husbands and wives. For husbands, this means love your wives. And you're like, all right, I can love my wife. 
Sure, no problem. Love your wives just as Christ loved the church. Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. That's a little harder. He gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean. And you see what Paul does there? What he says is, he says, really, the whole mystery of marriage, the whole thing about this thing called marriage that starts in the Garden of Eden, starts with Adam and Eve, and it goes on throughout human history, and there's good examples and bad examples and then terrible examples of it, but, but all of it is meant to point to this reality of God and his people coming together. And that God has created you to have a deep, meaningful, intimate relationship with him. I don't know, you know, I don't know your religious background. I don't know if you have a religious background. You know, some, some of us grew up in churches where it was really about a religion and following rules and accomplishing a list of things to do or, you know, tr- trying to follow other people's expectations. But really, God's heart here is that we would have a relationship with Him. Just like if you're married, you cultivate that relationship with your spouse or you cultivate that relationship with your best friend. You cultivate that relationship with your siblings in a very similar way, but in a much more even profound way. God wants you to have an intimate relationship with him. And so the book of Revelation should remind you, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, I hope you're growing into a deeper and deeper, more intimate relationship with God. I mean, I know there's ups and downs and there's difficulties along the way, but I want you to know that that's what God's inviting you to have, this, this great, deep growing connection with him. And that's not just for heaven. It can begin today. Second thing we see in Revelation 21, 22, Jesus will forever remove every aspect of our broken past. God tells us in Revelation that he is going to give us a happy ending. (laughs) The greatest happy, not just us, but he's going to give the universe a happy ending. Now, sometimes when you read a story, you read a story that's got like a lot of difficulty in it and it's got a lot of sorrow on it, in it and it, then it has a happy ending and you're like, I don't know if I buy that happy ending. You ever had that in a movie before? Like recently, I'm not going to spoil, I'm going to try not to spoil this movie, so apologies up front, but uh, our family, we were watching Maleficent, like the second Maleficent. I don't know if you've watched it on Disney+. Plus. There, you, you can see it. And I won't go into details, but Maleficent, she's like a fairy. I don't know what she is. Anybody? I don't know. Anyway, you can, you can text me later. But uh, whatever she is, she's Angelina Jolie. So that's who she is. And she's, you know, fighting the bad humans. And there's this big battle. Again, spoiler alert. Close your ears, kids, if you don't want to know what happens. There's a big battle, but there's, like, a lot of bad things that go down in this battle. And, like, you know, people die. I'll just, you know, people die. And then they, they have this big battle, the good side wins, and then they celebrate that very same day with a wedding. And everyone's happy. And I'm like, well, what about everyone who just lost loved ones in this battle? Like, I don't, I don't know. Maybe it's just me. But I was like, how do, you, how do you have, like, this big, sad, scary battle, and then you end the day with a wedding? And everyone's like, oh, it's okay. Yeah, we lost Grandpa in the fight, but it's fine. It's no big deal. The princess and prince are happy, so we're all happy, you know. I don't know. I didn't quite buy it. And some of you might say, how do I buy the happy ending in the Bible? Well, you can buy it because it's going to happen and because God has made a way for us to have a true happy ending. God deals with all our pain, all our shame, all our brokenness. He, he says, I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. This is why heaven is such a happy ending, because God will be with us. He will dwell among us. Remember the name Emmanuel that God has, that Jesus has? What does the name Emmanuel mean? 
God with us, that's right. And that name was fulfilled certainly in the life of Jesus Christ, but is now completely, totally fulfilled in, in, in the book of Revelation at the end of time. And then we go on, it says, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. Forever. Just as I was reading that, the, the thing that popped in my head was Lazarus. You remember the story of Lazarus? Lazarus dies, and Jesus raises him from the dead. It's a powerful image of Jesus' own uh, resurrection that was to come, and, and Jesus' ability to have the power of life over death. But you know the thing about Lazarus is he still died. Lazarus isn't walking around today, right? <laughs> he died again. We don't know how, but he died. But look at what it says here. Jesus says, this is, God says, this is a forever thing. No more death, no more sorrow, no more crying, no more pain. All these things are gone forever. And the one sitting on the throne, who we've seen throughout the book of Revelation, the one sitting on the throne says, look, I am making everything new. And then he said to me, write this down, for what I tell you is trustworthy and true. Wow. Wow, God says, yes, my world has been broken. Yes, humanity is broken. Yes, there is guilt and there is shame and there is pain and there is injustice and there is racism and there is all sorts of evil. There's, there's human trafficking. There's all this brokenness. But one day God says, I'm going to come. I'm going to come in judgment for those who don't repent. And then I will bring my justice and righteousness to the earth. And behold, I make all things new. And then God says, just so you get the message, John, write this down. <laughs> write this down. Don't forget it. Don't forget it. Write it down. Why? It's trustworthy and true. Let's go back to the first century. Put on, let's put on our first century glasses for just a moment. You're a Christian in the first century. Maybe you've lost your job for being a Christian. Maybe you're kicked out of one of those Roman trades guilds we've talked about. Maybe you lost your family for being a Christian. Maybe you've gone to prison for being a Christian. Maybe you've known a Christian or two who's lost their lives for just simply being a follower of Jesus Christ. Imagine reading these words that when heaven comes, the new heavens and the new earth, there will be no more pain, no more death, no more sorrow, no more crying. Jesus will remove all of the pain from the past. He will remove all of our in, all the injustice, all the brokenness, all the guilt. He'll be gone forever. Now, again, you can experience some of that today. You can experience God taking your guilt and removing your guilt and giving you forgiveness. God, you can see God taking your shame and honoring you all through the cross of Jesus Christ. You don't have to wait for heaven. You can experience some of that today. But in the end, it'll be made plain for everyone to see. Next thing. It's got a few more of these to highlight. Nothing will ever come between us and Jesus again. If you're a Christian, you know what the Christian life is like. It would be nice if the Christian life was like this. I start here, and I get up here, and that's great. <laughs> and then I meet Jesus. But here's what it is, right? It's up, down, up, down, up, down, up, down, up, 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 down, up, up, down, you know? That's the Christian life. The Christian life is, you know, I do things. I, 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 I get connected to God I, I get connected to a church family. I get connected to a mentor. I get connected to small groups. I'm growing. I make a dumb choice. I repent. I come back. I make another dumb choice and another dumb choice. And all of a sudden, God feels far away. 
But then I realize he's not far away. I'm the one who's running away. So I need to come back to him. And that's, that's the Christian life for a lot of us. But here's the thing about heaven. We will never have that experience ever again in heaven. Nothing will ever come between us. I want to just take you through this rich, rich passage here in Revelation 21. It's very symbolic. It says, I saw no temple in the city, for the Lord Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. And the city has no need of sun or moon, for the glory of God illuminates the city, and the Lamb is its light. Now, if you were a Jewish Christian reading the book of Revelation, and God says, in the new heavens and the new earth, there is no temple, you'd be like, what? Got to have a temple. (laughs) Got to have a temple. Why? Because the temple is where the presence of God dwelt on earth in a special way. That was some of the symbolism behind the temple. Just this morning, in my devotions, I'm reading 1 Chronicles, and in Chronicles, David He hands over the keys to the kingdom to Solomon, his son, and he says, son, you're going to build a temple, and God's going to dwell in this temple, and I'm giving all my gold to this temple because it's going to be awesome, and Solomon, you're the guy, and this is where God's going to dwell. This is God's house, the temple. And so if you were a Jewish Christian, you would have thought, well, of course there'll be a temple in heaven, you know? There's got to be a temple. That's where God dwells. But the book of Revelation says, no, There is no physical building in heaven called the temple because God the Father and Jesus Christ are the temple. Because God's presence is everywhere. I mean, God is everywhere today. You know, the psalmist says that. Like, you can't run away from God. He can see you wherever you go, right? He's everywhere. But in heaven, in a new, more powerful way, God's presence will be more palpably there. Like in the Garden of Eden, I, I would assume, in a sense. That God's presence is more, more, it's more, we're more aware of it. We have more knowledge of it. And so there's no reason for us to go to a temple to be in the presence of God. Because wherever you are in the new Jerusalem, wherever you are in the new earth, you are in the presence of God and you feel it and you know it and you can tell. And so we can have just that directness with God. Look what it says there in verse 23, 24. The, the city has no need of sun or moon. Why? God's not anti-sun. It's because God in His glory, God's glory will be totally manifested in heaven, and we will, and God's glory is His brilliance, His perfection, His power, His holiness, and God is so brilliant, He's so glorious that He will light up the new heavens, the new earth, so you don't need a sun. That's the picture here of God. And it says there as we go on, uh, it says the nation's will walk in its light, the light of God. And the kings of the world will enter the city in all their glory. Its gates will never be closed at the end of the day because there is no night there. I, wanna, I just want to tackle this first sentence. I, I want to tackle both these. But the nations will walk in its light. The kings of the world will enter the city in all their glory. I hope you've read the book of Revelation at least once throughout this series, maybe a couple times. If you have, then you know when you read about the kings of the world, throughout the book of Revelation, the kings of the world are bad guys and and bad gals, okay? (laughs) They're bad people because it's the kings of the world that conspire with Babylon and, and say no to God. And they're all about wealth and power and having their own authority, and they follow the beast, the beast of the sea and the beast of the earth, the Antichrist and his lieutenant, 
That's, what, that's what's going on in the book of Revelation. The kings of the world are opposed to God. But God, in His great mercy, in His great loving mercy, says throughout the book of Revelation, repent, stop what you're doing, I love you, come back to me. And it appears that some, even some of those kings of the world who are against God, finally, before the end, before it's too late, have their eyes opened and repent and come to God. And we see the nations, people from, from the nations, stream into the new heavens and the new earth. And they're led there by the glory of God. Its gates, the gates of the new heaven and the new earth, the new Jerusalem, will never be closed. You know, if, if you ever go to an ancient city, ancient cities had gates, and they would close those gates at night. Why? Protection, right? For protection. If you read uh, Old Testament stories, you, you can see a lot of times, depending on how fortified your gate was, that's how protected you were. Gates kept out armies, they kept out wild animals. There's no need in the New Jerusalem to have your gates closed because no one is ever going to challenge God again. No one is ever going to try to, try to put an end to God again. No one is ever going to have any success in trying to defeat Him. And so the gates of heaven are wide open, which is also just a good image for God's invitation for all who would to come. And then it says, I think our last little section here in this part, and the nations will bring their glory and honor into the city. Nothing evil will be allowed to enter. That means nothing unclean, more literally. If you remember um, in, the, in the chapters talking about the fall of Babylon, chapter 18, it said that the city has become only a place for the demonic and the unclean. On the opposite side of that, the new Jerusalem, there is nothing unclean in this city. Nothing evil will be allowed to enter, nor anyone who practices shameful idolatry will be able to enter, right? No one who, no one who uh, is depicted in the idolatry that's seen throughout the book of Revelation will be able to enter, and, and no one who is dishonest, who tells lies. We read, if you go back to Revelation chapter 3, it depicts... Uh, those who kicked Christians out of synagogue, and it calls them liars. And the same word is used here. It says, no one who is a liar to the testimony of Jesus Christ will ever enter the new heavens and the new earth, but only, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. There is only one thing that can prevent you from being part of the new Jerusalem, and that is if you reject Jesus Christ as your Savior. But for everyone who trusts in Christ for the forgiveness of their sins. Everyone who comes to Him and seeks mercy, you will find forgiveness. And this is your new home, new heavens, new earth. You're written in the Lamb's book of life. Couple, just a couple more quick points. Jesus will set right everything that has gone wrong in the world. You don't need me to tell you there's a lot of brokenness in our world. You don't need me to even illustrate that. You know it. <laughs> you, you, you go on Facebook, right? You, you, some brave people turn on the news, right? There's a lot of hurt, a lot of brokenness, a lot of pain. There always has been, but it, it is certainly palpable now. But look, look at the picture that God gives us of heaven. It says, Then the angel showed me a river with the water of life, clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. It flowed down the center of the main street, on each side of the river grew a tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit with a fresh crop each month. You see, the first Eden 
In the first Eden, Adam and Eve sinned. They brought sin into the world. They brought brokenness into the world. We contribute to it, so don't just blame them. <laughs> There's so much brokenness. And God says, in my new city, there is a river, a river with the water of life. Isn't that awesome? The water of life, the renewing water that comes from the throne of God and of the Lamb, and it flows through the entire city. And on each side of the river, there's a tree of life, and this tree bears fruit every month. Now, I've never been a farmer, but I know enough to know that trees don't bear fruit every month, okay? <laughs> there's these things called seasons, right? There's harvest season, and then there's winter, and, and, and there's that seasonal rhythm. But in heaven, they don't have that. We don't have that in heaven. In heaven, God abundantly provides everything we need for the healing of our lives. Verse 2 goes on. It says, the leaves were used for, uh, for medicine to heal the nations, no longer will there be a curse upon anything, for the throne of God and of the Lamb will be there, and His servants will worship Him. You think of the brokenness of our nation and the nations in the world? God says that the leaves for the tree of life will be for the healing of the nations. And remember what, I, what we said. We said that this is a reversal of Genesis 1 and Genesis, well, really, a reversal of Genesis 3, the fall. That's exactly what it says there. No longer will there be a curse upon anything. The curse is lifted forever. And it's not just a reversal of the curse, but it's, this, is, this is greater. Something greater is here, greater than what we've ever experienced. And then, I'm so excited to share this passage with you, verses 4 and 5. And they, who's the they? The they is God's people. If you're a Christian, I don't, if you're 7 years old or if you're 97 years old and you're a follower of Jesus, even if you're older too or younger, if you're a follower of Jesus, you are part of the they? They will see his face, and his name will be written on their foreheads, and there will be no night there, no need for lamps or sun. You can get rid of these lights. <laughs> for the Lord God will shine on them, and they will reign forever and ever. You know, in the Bible, we talk about, we talk about an old covenant, an old way of relating to God, or an old, old uh, connection with God. That's, that's depicted in the, in the Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible. And we talked about the New Covenant, which is the New Testament. Old Testament means Old Covenant. New Testament means New Covenant. In the Old Covenant, God said, if you look upon my face, you will die. Moses, you can't look at me. If you look at me, you will die. I'm too glorious. But in the New Covenant, we will see the face of God. <laughs> Isn't that remarkable? Isn't that amazing? You will see God's face, and His name will be written on your foreheads. Again, the followers, of the, market, uh, the followers of the Antichrist, they have the Antichrist name on their foreheads or on their hand. We have Christ's name on us. And they, again, the they is you. It's you. If you put your faith in Jesus, you will reign forever and ever with God in some sense. I don't know all the details. I don't know exactly how that works. I don't know everything that looks like. But in some sense, God's people will be part of the reign of God forever and ever. It's glory. It's not boring. It's not boring, guys. That's what I'm trying to tell you. It's exciting. It's worth living your life for. It's worth dying for. That's why Christians have died for this message for centuries and will continue to die until the last one dies and Jesus comes back, as we've seen in the book of Revelation. So here's where we're going to end. Here's where the Bible ends. Everyone is invited to know Jesus this way. Everyone's invited 
Revelation 22, 17 says this, the spirit and the bride say, come. Let anyone who hears this say, come. Let anyone who is thirsty, come. Let anyone who desires drink freely from the water of life. Here's God's message for you. If you're here today and you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, if you never put your faith in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, God says to you, come. Come to me. The story of the Bible is that you and I are broken people. We are sinful people. You're not as bad as you could be, so that's something, but you're still pretty bad, (laughs) and so am I. And we need forgiveness, and that forgiveness only comes through a cross. Where's my cross? There it is. Forgiveness only comes through a cross. Jesus, the Son of God, God himself, came to this earth, lived a sinless life, and he died on the cross to pay the penalty for your sins. And if you recognize that you can't save yourself, you recognize that you can't do anything to earn God's forgiveness, if you throw yourself on the mercy of Jesus Christ and say, Jesus, I believe that you died for me, you took my place, if that is the cry of your heart, then you will receive forgiveness of sins and eternal life. And then everything we've been reading about today, that, that's your future. You don't need to worry about it. You don't need to hope you, you qualify for it because that's not what it's about. It's about Jesus Christ. It's always been about Jesus Christ. And so the Spirit says, come. God's people say, come. I hope you'll join him. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your presence. Thank you so much for your word. Thank you so much for who you are and what you've done in our lives. God, I pray that if there's anyone here who has not yet put their faith in you, I pray that today would be the day that they would see the the wonderful future, the wonderful hope, and the wonderful forgiveness they can have in Jesus Christ. God, I pray that we would look longingly for heaven, that we would understand that this world is not our home, that the new heavens and the new earth are our home. We long for you to return, Jesus, and to to take us to that great future you have for us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.